Yeah, thank you, Jesus, that your word is alive, that it's powerful, and God, that we as your people get to sit under your word this morning. Would you just anoint the lips of Gareth as he shares, a faithful servant, a man of your word who has journeyed with you for many years. I pray that as he shares, we'd have hearts that are ready to receive and ears that are ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bates. Good morning. I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is how we used to say it in KZN. So great to have uh, some people from KZN here this morning. And uh, it's a great joy to, to preach for the first time today uh, as one of the leaders of this church. And I'm not really a very nostalgic person normally. Can sneak up on you though, occasionally. But... Uh, I've just concluded at the end of last year the joy of preaching in one place to a group of people for 20 years, and today we're beginning a new season of preaching to another group of people for who knows how long, maybe another 20 years. And so I do feel that there's a sense of significance as one season of preaching to one group of people ends and another group of people a season begins. And you know, I want to say to you that, and I believe that many elders would say the same thing, that for me, there is nothing sweeter than preaching to the people that God has called you to serve as a leader. God might call us to serve in other places or other platforms, and we'll say yes to whatever context God calls us to preach into, but I want to say personally that there is no greater joy than preaching in the local church that you are serving and so the reason for that is because it's a joy to preach to the people that God has sovereignly decided that your life story and our life story has been joined together. It's, it's a joy to preach to those whom you are walking through life with, full of its ups and downs, its mountaintop experiences and its valleys, and seeing how the Word of God applies to all of those. It's a joy because... You are the people that Nadine and I have committed ourselves to you, and you have committed yourself to this church. And we want to say that we are invested in you and are responsible for you before God. One day we'll give an account. And so I want to say that as I preach this morning, preaching in a local church is really pastoring from the pulpit. You will no doubt have many times, we'll have many times where we have one-on-one -on -one meetings, etc., and you, you'll feel like you've maybe met with the pastor. Hopefully you'll just call me Gareth. But when we preach as elders, we're really pastoring, we're caring from the pulpit. And so you could say that preaching is not public speaking, but rather it is caring for, it is guiding, it is correcting at times, it is discipling, it is comforting, it is teaching, and hopefully it's inspiring the people of God that God has entrusted to you to obey God wholeheartedly with all their lives. And so preaching is really a remarkable thing. And so I do, for all of these reasons, feel a sense of significance this morning as, as we begin this journey together today. And it's interesting because after preaching for 20 years to one group of people, it's amazing that they put up with me for 20 years, but um, after preaching for 20 years, I really had to pray about what to preach as my final message. And I ended up preaching the exact same passage that God put on my heart for this morning. I felt that after preaching for 20 years over many different things, the last message I wanted to preach to, to kind of 
leave with those people was this message from Colossians that we're going to look at today. I wanted to put before them a vision of Jesus that would sustain them. And then as I was praying about how to start a preaching journey here, I thought, well, actually, I've got nothing else to say other than Jesus. And what I said to those guys at the end, I want to say to you guys at the start. And so this morning, I want to preach about Jesus, his supremacy, and his sufficiency. And we're going to do that from Colossians chapter 1. So if you, the scriptures will be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. But I want to pray for us, uh, just as, as we begin. I know I've been prayed for already, but uh, no one prayed for you. So uh, let's just do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. We've sung about who you are and what you've done for us already this morning. And Lord, I want to ask that you would come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would meet with us. As, Lord, we unpack your word, I pray, Jesus, come alive to us again today. Lord, overwhelm us with your majesty and your glory so that we could respond appropriately. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Before we get to Colossians chapter 1, I want to share with you something which is a bit of a life, uh, a life thought, and it's that the Christian life is all about a response to Jesus. And if you think about human beings, we are, create, we are created, we are creatures that respond. It's really how God made us. It's how he's wired us. We have been wired to respond. We are responsive beings. So we know this. If you uh, ever stub your toe, you, you respond. Or if someone comes towards a young child with a needle, I'm just going to give you an injection. This is really good for you. Do they go, yes, please give it to me? No, they, they react. They respond. You might be the type of person that, that gets surprised or alarmed if there's, if there's something that happens suddenly. We ooh and we are over cute little things. We smile at pleasant things. I love watching Nadine while she watches movies. I hardly ever watch the screen. My wife's side on view is like, I, 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 I get so much joy just watching her watching a movie. We, we are wired to respond. In fact, you can't turn it off really. And we know that you can't turn it off because this is how they know you dead. They poke you and you don't respond anymore, declared dead. So we are wired to respond. And so if you think about your Christian faith, maybe it's not that surprising then that the Christian life at its heart is all about a response. Our faith is not really about moral compliance to some set of rules or mental assent to some philosophy no, your faith and my faith is all about a response to an ongoing revelation to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And actually, this was true of the very first disciples. If you think of those guys, those fishermen who were along the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus met them personally, and their lives were turned upside down. In fact, what they used to do every day was transformed because they encountered Jesus Christ. And then as they walked with them, and as they lived with them, and as they talked with them, as they saw him die on the cross and rise again and ascend into heaven, 
they were ruined to live any other life than a radical response to Jesus Christ. In fact, their response to Jesus was so radical that they were willing to let people kill them because of what they believed, because they had seen something and now they were living out a response. I love how this is also true of the Apostle Paul, who wasn't there with Jesus like Peter and John and the others were, but he met the, the risen Jesus so radically that he went from murderer to church planter in an instant. And he wrote this to the Corinthians. He says this, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I don't think he ever got away from that. I oversaw people getting murdered. Not a great CV for an apostle for Jesus. But, don't you love the buts in the Bible? But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And friends, His grace to me was not without effect. No, I responded. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Can you see the Apostle Paul, he, he's like, I saw Jesus, and even though I was a murderer of Christians, when I met Jesus, something happened in me. It wasn't me, it was the grace of God. But the grace of God wasn't just, yeah, no, no, I know what the grace of God is. No, I changed my whole life, and I worked hard for Jesus, but not me, but the grace of God that is in Jesus. He knew what it was like to respond to Jesus. Friends, your faith and my faith, is all about a personal response to the ongoing revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done, not just for all mankind, but for you. And what this means is that the more you see Jesus, the more you see of Jesus, the more you'll love Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, your life will change. Your life won't change because of outside pressure. You know, well, we have to. If you ever bought flowers for your wife and you said, and when you gave it to her, you said, I bought these flowers. And she said, oh, thanks for buying the flowers. And you said, well, I had to. How did that go? Your life won't change because you have to. Your life changes because you get to, because you want to, because you're responding, because you've seen love. We change, we obey God's will for our, our lives because God has melted our hearts through His love. And we actually know this principle. Let's talk about doing the dishes. Remember if you were in res once, don't know if dishes were ever done, but there's doing the dishes if you're living in a res because someone has to, otherwise you can have a biological experiment. And then there's doing the dishes just after you got married. You've never done dishes in your life. You're probably a guy. You've never done dishes in your life. You only ever did it if you had to. But now all of a sudden you've got this wife. And now you want to do dishes because you're responding to love. Same task, dishes, different motivation. We actually know how this works, don't we? The Christian life is about a response. Realizing how much you've been loved. And then responding, changing because of the person who's loved you. Sadly, the reverse is also true. 
Because the Christian life's a response, what it means is if we're living in a worldly way, that's a way that the, the, the Bible describes living an ungodly life, living not the life God wants for you. If you're living in a worldly way, living no different to the world, we wouldn't be able to work out whether you're a Christ follower or not if we looked at your life. If you're living in a pattern of sin or compromise, if you're battling with unforgiveness, yeah, but you don't know what they did. If you're living an up-and-down, lukewarm Christian life, occasionally coming to church, if you're unfaithful in tithing, if you're not serving someone in church, if you're not using your gifts at all for the benefit of God's purposes and the advance of His kingdom, the reason is, not that you're not doing those things, the reason is you haven't seen Jesus yet. That's the real reason. That's why you don't do the dishes. You haven't seen Jesus yet. Or you've somehow lost sight of him. And that happens. That can happen very easily. You either haven't seen Jesus yet, you haven't even given your life to Jesus, you've never professed faith in Jesus, or somehow you've lost sight of Jesus. And so this response to Jesus dampens down and erodes. Because if we've truly seen Jesus, or if you are aware of Jesus right now, in all his might and his magnificence and his majesty, you would fall on your knees and you'd worship him instantly like Isaiah did and like Paul did. You'd give your whole life to him. Isaiah said, here am I, pick me, do whatever you want with me. If we see Jesus afresh, we'll respond and we'll keep responding to him with our whole lives. And so that's why today, this is just the intro. Sorry, I preach for three hours. No joking. This is why we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 today. I wanted to say all of that because I wanted to get to the why are we looking at Colossians 1. This isn't just to have your head tickled. I want to go right for your heart. I want to go through your head to your heart so that you and I together will respond to Jesus. You see, Paul was writing to the church in Colossia. And he was teaching, he was, he was writing this letter to them because some people were teaching that you, yes, it's good that you believed in Jesus, but you also need to do this. You need a Jesus plus something else. And it seems like from passages like Colossians 2 that what they were teaching was that somehow Jesus wasn't sufficient for all that you need for life and godliness. And so Paul wanted to protect this congregation. And so how did he do that? How would he keep them on track in terms of the gospel? The way that he did that was to paint a picture, the picture we're going to read now, about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And that's why I wanted to preach that today. If I ask the question, what will sustain, I love the name of this church, One Hope Church, what will sustain your one hope in life and death is a vision of Jesus you see, if the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ are truly grasped, then all manner of things are ensured, protected, and prevented. So let's read Colossians chapter 1 together. I'm going to read from the ESV translation. If it's ever not the ESV, I'll just let you know if I'm quoting from something else. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him 
all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Say all things. No, say it like you mean it. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things holds together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Some translations say, have the supremacy. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man, this passage of Scripture could be a whole series on its own. But let's just break it down. Six points and then a conclusion. Firstly, Jesus is truly God. Jesus is what you and I can see of the invisible God. Jesus is what you can see and you can experience of God says this in our passage, he is the image of the invisible God. And the story behind those words is that God wanted us to know him. God created the world, but he wanted you and I to know him. But how can you know the God who lives in unapproachable light, according to 1 Timothy? How can you know the one who is invisible, according to John chapter 1? How can you know that God? Well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, left heaven. Jesus, who is God, took on human flesh so that we could see him and so that we could know him. And so Jesus is what we can see of the invisible God. John said in his gospel in John chapter 1, 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. These are Jews knowing that they can't even say Yahweh's name. They can't even write it because God is so unapproachable and so holy and so glorious. And he has lived with God and he writes, no one's ever seen God, the, ho the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that's Jesus, made him known. Jesus himself said in John 49, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And John, in his letter, in 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, says with the other apostles, he, he says, we heard God, we saw God. And then he says, I love this one, I touched God. And, and you, can just, you can just hear the wonder in his voice, uh, in his words as he's writing. He, he's just astounded that the living God walked the message paraphrase says of John chapter 1, God moved into the neighborhood. And John is just, his spiritual fuse has just gone, bzz. he's just overwhelmed that God 
walked with me. Although you and I don't physically see Jesus ourselves, we get to, this is why you should read your Bible, you get to read the eyewitness accounts of the people who actually walked with Jesus. Those are the Gospels. And now we get to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus so you too can know God. Because of Jesus' uniqueness as the only God-man, Jesus alone can show us who God is. And just think of what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus, your Savior and my Savior, the man who is God, is in heaven right now, in the throne room of God, interceding on your behalf as your mediator, the one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. He's doing that right now for you and me. So what's the application of this? That Jesus is God. Maybe you came to church today and you don't yet know Jesus. Your friend invited you to church and lunch and you really wanted to go to lunch, so you decided you had to go to church if you're going to go to lunch. Or maybe you're seeking, maybe you've been a bit far from God for a while and you decided maybe I should start again this year. What's the application for this first point that Jesus is God? C.S. Lewis famously, he, he, he said that because of the things that Jesus claimed about himself, because Jesus said, I am God. I mean, if you walked in today with a t-shirt that declared, I am God, the welcome table, the, the welcome people might have given you a, a bit of a sketchy handshake. Because then you are one of three things. You're either a lunatic, you're a liar, or you are God. And that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus didn't walk around, you know, pretending to be a good teacher. Jesus said, I am God. You can read John chapter 8 to actually see that when they worked out what he was saying, they knew what he was saying. They tried to kill him instantly for blasphemy. Friends, because Jesus himself said, I am God, he is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he really is God. And so what, what you need to decide is who is Jesus for me? The Bible says he's God. Our passage today says he's God, says he created everything. And so the real question becomes, what's your response? John Stott said this. No one who ever met Jesus had a moderate reaction to him. No one who ever met Jesus had a moderate reaction. They were either trying to kill him or they were willing to die for him. What's your response to Jesus today? If Jesus really is God and he is, one response is to lay down your whole life for him and to say, Jesus, I give you my life. And then to live the rest of your life, exactly how Bates led us earlier, giving your yes to Jesus. That's the only appropriate response if he's God. You know, the sentence, no Lord, doesn't make any sense. If he's Lord, then the only response is yes. How high should I jump? Not no Lord. Well, I was thinking, no, then he's not Lord. The God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, he's God and he's Lord. Amen? Secondly, Jesus is truly human. 
What this means is he is like us so that we can know him and so that he can save us. Our passage says it like this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now there is mystery and there's the wonder of the incarnation here and we can't get into all of it. But simply to say that Jesus is the firstborn, the eternal begotten Son of God. This doesn't mean that Jesus was created, uh, but rather that he took on flesh. You can read Romans 8.29 to, to read that. So God moved towards us so that he could be touched He could be talked to, he could be related to as a person, both then and still today. You can pray to Jesus because he became a man so that you can actually relate to him. And the amazing thing is that God took such great lengths so that we could know him. God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was their daily pattern. And when Adam and Eve messed up monumentally in the garden, God Set in plan, set in motion a plan that was going to mean Jesus coming to earth so that we could walk with God again today. I hope you know that God doesn't live here in Akerstadt Primary, but that when you walk out that door, you can walk with Jesus because He's a man. And you can pray and you can talk to Jesus and you can listen to Jesus and you can pour out your heart to Jesus because He's a human being like you. And Hebrews tells us he empathizes with us in our weakness because he himself has felt the same constraints of a physical body. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 17 is such an amazing passage and it says that Jesus was made like us so that he could save us. Not just so that you could know him, but that he could be your savior. (coughs) What this means is that one of the reasons that Jesus became a human being was so that he could become the once and for all sacrifice for your sins and my sins. You see, the Bible tells us, the whole Old Testament tells us, that the blood of bulls and goats was not able to take away your sin permanently. So Jesus left heaven and he came to earth so that he could be the sacrifice who would take away your and my sins once and for all can't resist going into Hebrews 2.17. I'll have it on the screen. Therefore, because Jesus wanted to save you, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus couldn't save you without becoming a human being so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus became human so that he could die in your place for your sin and offer you eternal life. Our magnificent Jesus was and truly is truly God and truly human so that he could save us. You see, there was no other way for us to be reconciled. I learned something new about the name of our youth this morning. I never worked out what recon was. It's, it's that subversive. But recon stands for reconciliation with God. And I'm like, yes. There was only one way you could be reconciled to God through Jesus. Well, there was only one way you could be reconciled, and it's through Jesus. The man who was God, who chose to die for your sin. Jesus himself said famously in John 14, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the only way to the Father. It's through believing in me. 
And so Jesus is our supreme Lord and Savior. There is none like him and there is no other way to salvation apart from faith in him. When I thought about this, I thought, I want to urge you to marvel at this again. I want to urge you to be in awe and wonder of Jesus. To thank Jesus. The, the way you could do this is you could decide today that I want to sit down and I want to write or I want to think and I want to thank Jesus for the lens that he went so that I could know him. And the lens that he went, he said, not my will be done, but yours, Father, so that he could save you. And worship him for that. You know, when someone does a really big thing for you, it is only appropriate to respond would you agree? We have that saying, you know, you left me hanging. So, so the small side of this is if I, if I like do this, or I do, and he just, he's looking on his phone. He just left me hanging, you know. So that's just a small little gesture, and we think, ah, that wasn't an appropriate response, bait. But if someone does a massive thing for you, and you just go, hmm, well, that's interesting. I never thought about that. That's an inappropriate response. If you've seen who Jesus is, the only appropriate response is to love Jesus back with all of your life. Amen? Thirdly, Jesus created and sustains all things. Our passage says it like this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, you guys said it earlier, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The first phrase I want to point out in that, those two verses is that everything was created by Jesus. Jesus wasn't created. He is the creator of all things, this passage tells us. And what that means is that everything, and the Greek for everything is everything. I don't even know what the Greek is, but it's everything. Everything was created by him, through him, and for him, this passage tells us. And what this means is that there is nothing that Jesus doesn't understand in your life. Have you ever prayed like that? Or you've talked to someone and you're sharing something with them and, 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 it, and they're simplifying it because they just want you to feel better. You've never spoken to people like that, hey? You speak to them and they just say, oh, well, it'll be okay. And, and they're just trying to simplify things so that you'll cheer up. And, and when you've prayed to Jesus, there's never a moment where you're going to pray to Jesus, you're going to pour out your heart, and he's going to say, I don't know what that is. You don't even know how your toaster works. True story. You think it's just a button. But you don't know what's going on with electrons and positives and negatives. And Jesus knows everything about your life. There is nothing that he does not know. Isn't that good news? You know, you shouldn't call me for advice on some things. I'll just refer you. But there is nothing you could ever speak to Jesus about that he goes and gets a quizzical look on his face. He created all things. So don't you think, maybe your prayer life's a little bit lackluster at the moment. Oh, I should pray more. Don't pray because you have to. Pray because you get to speak to the one who knows everything, about everything, because he created everything and sustains everything. 
He is the one we should speak to more than anyone else. I had a mentor, although I led the church, I had a mentor in terms of marriage who was in our church, who's going to be with the Lord, and his name was Mike. And he always used to say to husbands, speak to God more than you speak to your wife. Speak to God before you speak to your wife. And the husbands that are still alive, listen to Mike. No, I'm joking. Friends, we get to speak to Jesus. We should speak to Jesus more than we speak to anyone because he knows everything. He's the most helpful person to speak to. There is nothing, there's no situation, there's no person, there's no power that is not under his authority and control. And he loves you with an everlasting love. So when you speak to him, he's going to speak back to you. And so I want to say that knowing this should bring you incredible peace and comfort because Jesus is your refuge and your strong tower. So all things were created by him. All things were created for him. Jesus is not just the source of all life, but he is not just the designer of all things, but everything was created for him. And what this means is that everything in your life and my life has purpose. And the purpose of your whole life is not your happiness or your comfort or your entertainment. But the purpose of everything in your life is for Him. Everything we have is for His glory. And so your life and my life were not just created by Jesus, through Jesus' power, but they were actually created for His purposes. And so a great thing to do at the start of the year is to say, Jesus, here I am. What would you have me do? To, to lay down your life and to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's kind of somehow he taught us to pray like that. Not my will, but yours be done. And so I want to say, what does this mean for us? It means that the one precious life that you have isn't actually yours, but it's his. I love how Romans eleven thirty seven says this. It says essentially the same thing. For from him and through him and to him, are all things to him be the glory forever. How do we respond to this uh, knowledge that Jesus created all things, that they're all created by him, they're all created through him, and they're all for him? So therefore our lives have got purpose in him. How do we how do we respond? We decide to live our life not just for our small little ideas and plans but for the grand purpose that Jesus planned for them. And so significance flows when we do this. Our life's purpose is to live for his purposes and for his glory. More than that, in this passage, it, does, it also says that Jesus isn't just the creator, but Jesus is the sustainer. He's the one who holds all things together. And if you think about what that means for your life, if he is sustaining you, you don't have to sustain yourself. Think about how much stress in life is about us trying to keep it all together. And I guess my question to you this morning is, is there something in your life that has become too big in your vision and your Jesus has become too small? You, you're so looking at this thing, you can't see Jesus anymore. I want to urge you to look up to look at Jesus again and to know that he is sustaining you in all things. 
And then I want to encourage you to, to stand with one another. We do this in, in, in life groups. We do this in discipleship groups. We do this by being a family and helping one another to look to Jesus, particularly when the winds and the storms of life are really raging. Because even in those things, Jesus is the one who will sustain us. Amen. Fourthly, we are getting there. Jesus is the head of the church, including this church. Our passage says it like this, quite simply, and he is the head of the body, the church. I want to say to you, don't ever worry that the church will somehow you know, we sometimes think, oh, look at where uh, culture's going and look at what's happening in our country and less and less people are going to church. Don't ever worry that the church will somehow wane in significance through the ages. Friends, the church of Jesus Christ is eternal because it's the body of him who is eternal. And if Jesus is eternal and we are his body, it's not, it's not just some metaphor, but we are his body, we are his people then the church has eternal significance. Now this language is filled with picture language and wonder and mystery, but I can tell you simply from this that the church is the most significant grouping of people on the planet. I know you don't always feel like that when you walked in and you saw, oh, those are nice banners, and, 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 and oh, someone's on the guitar, and you can feel like, oh, we're just this little group of people in a, in, in a hall. No, brothers and sisters, we are part of the body of Christ the most significant group of people on the planet, the people that Jesus is most preoccupied with, the people that Jesus is most passionate about, the thing that he cares for most is his church because Jesus is inseparable from us and his church. We are the body that he loves. And so it is impossible to separate Jesus from his body. And people do that these days. And covid didn't help us. And so you get lots of people who are staying at home. And so, hi guys, if you're on the video, come back to church. But we can separate out Jesus from the church. And so you'll hear people these days say, well, I really love Jesus. I just don't like his church. Well, you can't do that. You can't separate Jesus from his body any less than separating a human from their head is a fatal exercise. You can't separate Jesus from the church. I'm always um, amazed that when, when Paul met Jesus on the road, on the Damascus road, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? That's how Jesus is connected to his church. So I want to say to you, what this means for us is we should love the church like Jesus does because the church is Jesus' body. And we can pray with confidence for Jesus' church because he cares for this group of people, the, the, this particular local church and the other local churches in our town and our country and around the world. He cares for us like no other. And lastly on this, out of application, it's totally okay for Paul and Kate to go as they give their yes to Jesus because Jesus isn't going anywhere, One Hope Church. And he, not Gareth, not Paul, not any of the elders, Jesus is the head of his church. Amen? Fifthly, our passage says that Jesus rose. And so because he rose, you also will rise with him. It says this, he is the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Jesus didn't just die on the cross. Jesus rose again and he defeated. We sang it this morning. We sang two songs about it. Jesus rose again so that he could defeat sin, Satan, and death. And because Jesus rose again, we too know that we who have trusted in Jesus will rise again with him. And so again, our, the name of this church, One Hope Church, our one hope in both life and death is that Jesus rose again, and because he rose again, we will rise again and have eternal life. And what this means is that if you're a believer in Jesus, for you, death is not a termination. It is merely a, trans uh, um, a transition from this life to eternal life. Jesus said in John 5, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. We think we go from life to death. Jesus said, no, if you have believed in me, you go from death into life, eternal life. And so because Jesus rose again from the dead and lives forever, we have an eternal hope. Deal Moody, a Christian at the turn of the century in America, famously said, Soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Do not believe it for a moment. I will be more alive than ever before. Brothers and sisters, if you have believed in Jesus, death is not your end. Your hope is in the resurrection that we sang about earlier. Because Jesus rose, you will rise again. And sixthly, Jesus is our only hope for reconciliation with God. Our passage says it like this. That through Jesus, God's plan was to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Reconciliation is about peace. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Once you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. He's reconciled enemies. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, what this passage tells us is that we all had a problem we couldn't fix. We were all made for a relationship with God, but our sin had separated us from God. And so we were banished from his presence. We were lost. We were estranged from God. Uh, Ephesians 2 says we were without God and without hope in the world. And we had no way of changing or fixing ourselves. We couldn't change the situation. But God, who is rich in mercy, Send Jesus to live and to die and to rise again in our place for our son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but be able to be restored back to a right relationship with God. They can be reconciled to God through Jesus and given an eternal relationship with God forever and ever. This makes Jesus our one hope. He's the only hope for reconciliation. He's the only hope. I hope you are not, excuse the pun, I hope you are not trusting in your good behavior to get 
to right relationship with God because you will never succeed. Our only hope to be reconciled to a right relationship with Jesus is faith in Jesus because he's the one who came to save us from our sin so that we could have a restored relationship. I think so many believers know what we say from. We say from our sin. But what do you say for? You say for a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is forever worthy of us praising and thanking him because of what he has done to reconcile us. I love that old song, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And so just as I started, I want to finish by saying that we were made to respond. That's how God's made us. And when we see Jesus in all his magnificence, I believe we will respond with worship as we lay our lives down to him.